Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck sticks? What the fuckadelics? What the fuckleberry fins? What the fuck puddles? I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that means. Never said it. What the fuck puddles? I don't know if that really describes a person. It was just something that came out. Welcome to the show. I am Mark Marin. This is my show. This is WTF. Today, the guest, my guest on today's show is Richard Linklater the director of Boyhood, and many other movies. Many other movies. Slacker, come on, Dazed and Confused, School of Rock, Waking Life, the Before Midnight, After Sunrise, Sunrise, Midnight, Sunrise, Today, The Next Day, forget the name of that series, those movies. He did uh, Fast Food Nation. He's done a lot of movies, this guy. So I'm going to talk to him in a minute. For those of you who are just joining me, this week of uh, amazing modern directors uh, and don't really know me. I've uh, I've quit my last addiction for the most part. I've gotten off of uh, nicotine lozenges. I haven't smoked in a long time, but now I'm without nicotine and we're going on. We're over five weeks now and the rawness is making me crazy. Do not like being this open. Do not like not having a damper, a filter, a, a, a way to keep level. That's the one thing about self-medicating. Keeps you nice and level. So where's it going to pop up next? I'm drinking tea, not drinking coffee. So that's it. So I got tea and I'm trying to keep, a, I'm trying to manage the masturbation. Don't want to get into that. Go down that addictive rabbit hole because that's not, that's a very sad one. They're all kind of sad, but some are more socially acceptable than others. Uh, you can certainly kind of suck on nicotine lozenges and drink a lot of caffeine uh, but you know, you can't just break down and jerk off at work. Well, you can, but it's not good. There's not a lot of, not a lot of pride in that relationship is going pretty well, but I think what's happening is, is I just don't know how I have no way to calibrate my emotions. And when things in the world, which I don't address that much on the show in terms of what my feelings are, because I don't want to come off as, uh, as righteous for selfish reasons, I think a lot of righteousness is self-serving and I find it despicable. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff weighs very heavy on me. It's hard for me to process the fact that one of my heroes is some sort of sociopathic evil monster. It's hard for me to process the horrendous torrents of racism in this country. It's hard for me to process the fact that religious fanatics go into an office and blow away a bunch of artists 
and cartoonists. It's all fucking horrible. And on top of that, raccoons are digging up my yard. And that's the one that's closest to me. All this other stuff filters in. And then I have irrational reactions to things like dropping a cup or raccoons digging up my yard because all this stuff is bottled up in me. All these feelings of hopelessness and of anger about the way the world works. Yeah, I could spend my, my life talking about it, but to me, it's all evil. And all I can do, well, the raccoons aren't evil. They're just being raccoons. Human-based behavior is evil. Animals not so much. They're annoying, they're destructive, but generally there's not a moral, we can't attach some moral imperative to fucking raccoons tearing up my yard. Raccoons do not say, fuck this guy, let's pull up his sod. And I'm not even that hung up on the grass, I just don't know what to do about it really. And it makes everything stink. And it just amplifies the hopelessness of everything. And things are going well for me right now, but I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, Shit can get kind of dark. And now that I don't have nicotine to manage the fucking fluctuations of my feelings or at least to keep them, you know, tamped down, I, I, I'm I worried that I'm going to unload on somebody. I'm worried that I'm going to unload on myself. I'm worried that, you know, I'm just going to say some fucking shit that's going to cause trouble. And a lot of people like that. See, a lot of people, I don't even know how concerned they are about things necessarily. They're more concerned about where do you stand? Where, where, where are you on this? We get, Let's judge you about where you stand on something. I usually stand for decency and rational behavior. I'm, I'm generally against evil. <laughs> I'm having a problem with raccoons right now. I'm also having a problem with my fucking confidence. It's horrendous. You think after a certain point, you know, you... you you get you get everything up and going. Things are going well. Your people enjoy what you do. Like when do you just sort of like, hey man, I'm great. When does that happen? It's like the it's like the fucking opposite is happening. And that's always why I go back to nicotine or go back to whatever. Go back to setting my brain on fire somehow. So at least my brain is on fire and I don't have to deal with what's in my heart. If your brain is on fire, your heart just sits there sadly, and watches your brain burn. Fine. So I'm a little emotionally all over the place and I'm just trying to keep that out of the realm of sad. That's that's the big agenda of sad and like, what's the point? Nothing is true. Things are out of control. My heroes are liars and people are killing people for cartoons. Fuck. When I get into this place of um, being emotional, all I can do is say, well, what the hell happened? What happened? And that's the amazing thing about uh, about Linklater. You know, I had uh, Paul Thomas Anderson on here and his d- movies demand uh, understanding from you. And you can create whatever understanding you want. They're very provocative in that way. They're, they're minimal enough. They leave a, a lot of room in them for you to sort of, you know, either project your own ideas onto them or let them live within you until they make sense to you. But Linklater seems to be in, in certainly in movies like Slacker or, or Dazed and Confused and, and, and the Midnight and Sunrise movies. And now this film, Boyhood, seems to be really sort of hung up and concerned with how people move through time. What, what, how does time 
affect us. That's the amazing thing about Boyhood. I mean, I saw this film. It's basically about a family and about uh, you know their struggles emotionally. That there's there are some harrowing emotional elements of it, but it, it's not a tragic tale. But 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 the fact that he used the same actors over a twelve year arc, you know, returning back to to shoot scenes as they got older, uh, it leaves you with a very interesting feeling. And I cannot, I still cannot put my finger on what that feeling is, knowing that these are the actors that were there twelve years ago and moved through their lives, you know, for that twelve years, watching them grow up, all of the characters get older, twelve years older over the course of this two hour film. It's something I've never seen before or felt before, and it's very, it's, it's very strange. And I can't really identify how it made me feel knowing that. I mean, yeah, I mean, some of you and, I, and I've seen documentaries where they check back with people, but this is a straight narrative through a 12-year arc using the same people. It's never happened before. And I think it made me, I, I think it, there's some wish fulfillment. Yeah, there's some part of me and maybe some part of you I'd love to see my last 12 years in a nice, tight, two-hour bit of business, a well-edited two-hour movie. I would love to see what the hell happened over the last 20 years of my life, well-edited, starring me, and, and, and maybe I could sort of figure out how I got here. I think there's a craving. It creates a craving for that because I'm constantly going back in my mind. It's not even nostalgia. It's just... As you get older, you lose touch with who you were. Or if maybe if you're on Facebook, you ever get on Facebook and see the people that you haven't seen in 15 years and, and wonder like, holy fuck, I knew that person as a kid. I knew myself as a kid, but I don't know that kid anymore. I've got some of that kid's stuff here, but I don't know, you know what was important to him. And it just keeps getting further and further away and starts all that stuff that once defined you starts to just sort of just peel away. And I think there's something fascinating about the way Linklater makes movies like that, especially this last movie. It does, it really says a lot about the reality that life is finite and not that long. And, you know, what we define the the sort of monumental elements of our life, the life-changing things are just days. They're just days. Things go wrong. Things go good. You bounce back. You don't bounce back. You plow on. And then it's fucking over. God, I don't want to be morose because it's, it, I'm not talking about that movie. That movie is a very life-affirming film. But it's fascinating, you know, to see it play out that way. I don't think it's ever been done before. I'm looking forward to talking to him. I'm okay, people. It's just like, I don't want you to, to think that the things that happen in the world don't have an effect on me and don't fuck me up. And, and break my heart. I just tend to sort of keep it local. Fucking raccoons are ripping up my yard. God damn it. Before we talk to Richard Linkletter, I want to mention that Boyhood is now available on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital download. If you haven't seen it, I would I would do that. All right, so let's uh, let's talk to Richard Linkletter. This is a very different conversation with a very different director than Monday, and I, I hope you enjoy it. 
And um, I'll talk to you on the other side. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Yeah, you don't have time to do everything. So, right. you know, give it a few years. Yeah, yeah, let, yeah. Let 12 of your best friends that you trust their taste. When they say, <laughs> hey, you, you, when they give you that look, yeah. you haven't seen that right. yet. You have to, and like, so you're, okay, finally, I give up. I will read that book, see that TV show, watch that. So you're, you say give it a decade, maybe. Yeah, maybe a decade. <laughs> maybe a decade. <laughs> I, I, I believe you, man. I like, there is so much shit, especially with music, because I got into vinyl again yeah. recently. I had no idea it even existed. Because mm-hmm. you get, it's the same with movies and TV, too. Well, TV's specific, but I mean, you get locked into what you grew up with. I What's know. coming into your head? And that's it, man. And then you start there, and your filter only goes out so far. You your need taste. a yeah. Freak has to but come <laughs> wake you up. What could clean the slate and start you from another entry point into the culture and in your world? Right. And you would be, you know, you sure. run into people who've like never. You need that guy. You need you need uh, that. You need, but in, even that, you're getting their right entry but, point. But it might be. But it might be a completely different world. That's yeah, like they're they're a portal to a to, new entry point. Yeah, that to like gets you know. You. Like, but you realize just how little time there is in this life, and and how much we go through just oblivious and blind. And, because we're trying to feed feed something. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's obviously it seems like uh, you, your movies are reckoning with that. <laughs> you, you know, like because I was thinking about it. Like even when I was thinking about about Slacker, you know, mm-hmm. and when that came out, and it was sort of like, what is this? This is the thing. But but there was a lot of that shit. Like, Austin, to me, struck me at that time. I mean, how old were you? 20? No, I mean, when I did Slacker, I started that. I was later 20, 28. All right. But but it seemed when to me, it, it seemed to be just a city full of those portals of people doing yeah. that weird shit. And like, because the one thing that stands out in my mind is the dude that says that TV set's been on since 19, whenever. <laughs> that he'd been keeping yeah. that set going because, you know... Those guys exist. I know, and I know that was really my, represented my twenties. Right, know? I had you know like post college, post work. I was hanging out, and suddenly I found myself in a town with a, just an incredible group of uh, people and energy. And it wasn't about money or right getting ahead. It was just about living the life you were supposed. That, that's what I saw. I'm sure Art it is was life, there, though, kind of. Yeah, and people who were kind of. What's the German word? Lieb- Liebenkunstler. It's an artist of life. <laughs> right. You know, right. it's like they don't, their art is the way they go through the world. They don't want to, they don't necessarily 
they're right. not technically creating a product you can buy or sell, but it's their life is art. And I, I, I met so many people I would put in that category. Well, that well, you felt that, yeah. And like I grew up in uh, Albuquerque, so like there was there yeah. was there were definitely. That. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to notice it around here though. Like it was weird. I made this note in the car today where I'm like, your early movies were this it may not ring true. It might ring true. It was how. People move through time, and now the later movies is how time moves through people. <laughs> that, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like that. Right? Yeah. But, uh, but like, did you find at that time, you didn't grow up in Austin, though? No. No one grows up there. It's the kind of place you move to. Well, where, where'd you grow up? Um, kind of in the Houston area, but I lived in a small town in East Texas called Huntsville, uh-huh. which is where they, how do small? The, where they do the executions of, of you know- mentally <laughs> retarded people and grandmothers. Oh, oh, right. And, yeah, it's where the big prison is. My right. dad lived in Houston. My mom l- was teaching at a school in Huntsville. So I kind of had both big city, Houston, huge So they city, weren't together for your and, whole life? Well, they divorced when I was really young. Yeah. About six or seven. Yeah. So your mom was uh, doing what? Um, academic. You know, she yeah. was getting her degree and, you know, master's degree. So I grew up with her kind of a student. And then she kind of came into her own as a teacher and we moved around based on our teaching jobs, and a lot like the movie Boyhood. I, 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 was, just gonna, I was just going to say that kind of an intelligent, passionate woman who kind of took her kids through, you know, her her life. You know, she didn't have a choice. That, that was very striking in the movie, mm-hmm. actually. That you know, when you really realize, and I've only been realizing it lately. I didn't grow up with it. Mm-hmm. I grew up with a different type of emotional chaos. That these are young people, yeah, the parents. And you know, you, you know, they're going to be fragile and vulnerable, and and and, and subject to their own emotional yeah. insanity. They don't have the answers, right? Yeah. When did you? This is, it's a hard thing to realize, yeah. isn't it? As a kid, you, it takes a while to realize, and sometimes I'm still realizing it. I think once you become a parent, it drags you through not only your own childhood again, but your own parents' relation changes. I like these inner, these generational conversations that it takes twenty plus years to get an answer or to realize something from your own childhood or like when, what your parents you, might have been right. going through. How, how old are your kids? I have a 21-year-old. Really? Uh, Lorelai, who's in the movie Boyhood. What, She's the older sister. Oh, okay. And then I have um, two 10-year-old girls. So all girls. Mm-hmm. But that's a pretty good gap in time. But So what has changed in your relationship? Now, I, I have to assume... That you're really that what we, what you went through as a child with your mother was not as intense as what happened in the movie, or was it? Well, yeah, it kind of was. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, sure. So your mom kind of got saddled with a, a drunk, abusive man. Well, that's that was definitely my point of view. You know, I mean, the movie enforces a kid's point of view. So what the reality is, um, and what, what I experienced might be two slightly different things. Her reality. But sure, but there are indicators that that point of view would indicate that yeah. this person is an abusive person. <laughs> well, not, you know, define abusive. You know, I think there's some good qualities there. He's not really... Right. He doesn't punch anyone. He's got his issues. I think a lot of people grow up where, you know, I remember that was kind of one of the things of my childhood. We're always on the... In school or sometimes even in the house in, in certain situations, you're kind of on the cusp of physical be, violence. Well, you're but terrified. It, it, yeah. If you're with an explosive person yeah. that's erratic, you just you walk around mm-hmm. going, oh, God, don't. I hope it doesn't. I think it's a more gentle society now. But like even then, I grew up getting spanked in, in schools. They still, 
you do the smallest violation and you you'd get paddled and it was just a more violent culture so i think i think everyone's a lot nicer now which is a a good thing you know you can't yeah. well people are more aware to, you can't beat your children right they're more aware that that maybe there's another way yeah. But then there's still people that would argue, nah, you're always fine. I'm <laughs> well, fine. Those are the people who still, uh, you know, whip their kids. And, right. Yeah, like, hey, it worked for me. Look how great I turned out. Right. So exactly. that's how I'm going to treat my kids. Yeah. You know? it's, I grew up a child abuser. Yeah. Yeah. I beat you know, the shit out of my kids. My dad. It worked for my dad to me. And it's going to work for you. Yeah. It's like the people who really have no uh, introspection or any thought of maybe there's progress in the world on how we treat each other. You don't have to hit kids. Yeah. You don't have to. I mean, there's reason and there's other. Sure. Sure. systems of reward and punishment so you man. never hit your kids are you kidding no <laughs> <laughs> i mentally screw with them but i don't you know. yeah that's that's, <laughs> that's the way to do it so but all right so your dad was in the big city what was he doing mm-hmm. he was in the insurance lot like the movie he, a guy who ended up in the insurance business you know just make, you a know guy. smart a smart guy who um, you know, had a family to support. So this is really an autobiographical movie all the way through, in a way. Well, largely, but it, it's kind of, I don't, I'm not afraid of autobiography. It's kind of the impulse of so many of my films, because I'm always filtering it through, in this case, a contemporary setting. Right. And in, in all the actors I'm working with. So I think it's a good first impulse. Yeah. It's where I start from. But I can't say at the end of the day, everything in it is, you know, right. autobiography. You know, it's not so specifically but it's certainly the jumping off point the emotional yeah the uh, core of it, yeah i i want i'm feel that close to it but i'm not i'm not so vulnerable like oh it's so autobiographical it's because it's ah you know patricia's mom was kind of like that and you know ethan's dad was kind of like that and all the ideas kind of swirl around and it be, it becomes something a few degrees away from well how them. open was that conversation with these actors i mean you were working with them for how long it was 12 yeah, years we put in our 12 years on it and it's pretty amazing to to be able to shape a character over that big a arc in a canvas it, well how structured a, was it from the beginning you said very Look, I want, I, yeah. we're gonna do this if everybody mm-hmm. lives yeah if we all are lucky to be here 12 years from now here's what we'll have so you shot it in increments over what R- roughly once a year for 12 years and you'd shoot for what three months no, no, just a few days. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It was an intense shoot. I mean, it would be several weeks of All making the movie. Yeah, yeah. But again, I would work on the script and then I, I, I rehearse a lot. I work with the actors and it's not like acting exercise rehearsal. It's more like rewriting and working the dialogue and the ideas through the actor because what I'm going for is a very realistic performance. So you let them follow their own impulses? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I'm there to yeah. to go, hey, that works, or let's think right. about this, or have new ideas. So I'm very process-oriented. Do you record it. all that? No, I just have pen in hand. Just hang out? And a laptop nearby. And You're just hanging out with the actors? Uh-huh. Talking, Cause reading through scenes, having more ideas, finding humor. You know, The experience of watching it was fairly uh, fascinating because... The story is what it is, but the phenomenon of what you did is something that you've I've never seen or felt before. I mean, you can you can see a documentary. What what was it that one with the British kids or what, you know? oh the Seven Up series, right? Where every seven years you right. re- revisit people, and but that's see that different. I mean, oh, you're it's actually, a documentary, yeah, right? But you're moving through this narrative over this period of time with these same people growing. It was like aging, it, growing aging. up. Yeah, it, it was a little. Um, I, I didn't know how to feel. Oh, man. good, good. <laughs> yeah, because it's. I wanted 
that's really it, the film's really about time, you know, and it hit me in a flash like this why can't I make this movie? I just saw the whole finished movie in my head and yeah. it was everyone in it was just 12 years goes by, the kids grow up, the adults age from their, you know, maybe late 20s to early 40s or whatever the ages would be. And you see this progression of time, how it would work through this family. And I just, I just felt that. And that was, that was the cool idea for the story I was hoping to tell, what I was hoping to express about uh-huh. growing up and parenting and, and all that. But, um, yeah, that was... But, the, the, but then you were able to get these actors to commit to it and make it happen yeah. within two hours. I mean, that, <laughs> see, that's the, that's, yeah. the, that's the mind fuck there. Is that you know that these actors have had this life in the, over the last twelve years? I mean, Christ, mm-hmm. Ethan's been in a few movies, maybe even some of yours. Yeah, one or we, two of them. We've done other movies. Right. People so, had we had five kids between us. Yeah, were, and and you were, know that. Yeah, but like to sort of condense it into this in, into this process of 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 narrative and of this mm-hmm. finite amount of screen time, there there was something like there was something mind blowing about the emotion that you feel to to witness it. I th- I've never seen anything like it, so I didn't know how to feel. How did you feel about it when you watched it? You know, I I bet the whole thing, because it's really these intimate little moments, you know, most epics. But it's the same people. It's bizarre. Yeah, yeah, they just It's get, never been done they before. They get older. Yeah, and I... I, I <laughs> Has it? I bet the form. No, not in a narrative. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it hasn't, because the film came out in July now. And you don't know. It's like a scientist publishing your your... Paper, paper, right, sure. And you just put it out there and yeah. others can, and, you know, I expected film historian, you know, to be at the Berlin Film Festival right. and some yeah. no, old this critic. Was done. Actually in <laughs> Finland and from 57 to 68, uh, yeah, yeah. a young, you know, they follow, you know, I, okay, yeah, you know, yeah, lay yeah. it on me. It, I had never seen this film mm-hmm. before and I didn't, it felt completely original to me. No one's laid it on you yet. Not yet. It's almost right, been man. six months. So All right. The, the, the test or whatever this, the, that is, is going through. But it, it felt original, but I mean- you know, 12 years later, I can tell you, I think, why no one <laughs> has ever done this. Because it's just, A, like, wildly impractical. Yeah. The amount of time and, you know, how you would do it. It's really hard to yeah. raise the money and right. all that stuff. And then on a psychological level, I think it's unlikely because most filmmakers were, were sort of control freaks. Yeah. The same way a writer or anyone is. You want to shape the material. And in this case, we were all having to give away a little bit of that control to the our collaborator here was an unknown future. You know? Right, right. It's like Interesting. the way you yeah. perceive the future as you go through your life. Right. You have a 12-year, you know, where are you going to be 12 years from? Sure, now? I don't know. And you go, you know, I have some goals or some thoughts to that. Yeah. And if you're lucky, you're here, but it won't be maybe exactly what you thought. But so you're, think, but you're, you're saying- working toward it. So that's how we had to approach this movie. It's like- I can't tell you exactly what's what some of the details are going to be year ten because we haven't gotten there. I don't know something big. So you were writing that as it went along. Yeah, yeah, of course. I had the structure, and that's that was the autobiographical element, like the family moving, new jobs, the bigger structure. I mean, I knew the last shot of the movie, yeah. and I had a beginning and end, and kind of the bigger bones of how you would describe your life, yeah, right? But the minutia had to be. I had a year to fill in that. Every year, I could go through my life thinking like, okay, oh, that. Or memories, every year I'm going like fifth grade, fifth grade, fifth grade. What went on that year? What yeah. was I thinking? Or, right. And then I'm also in touch with my young actors, you know, throughout the year. Well, one's my daughter, so I'm really 
know her well. <laughs> yeah. But like, oh, I'll, things will go on at school and like, oh, that'll trigger a memory of mine. Was that guy pursuing acting, your actor? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was important at the very beginning in casting Eller Coltrane. He was a young man. He was like six. Yeah. Um, he had been in a movie and some commercials. He had an agent, you know, a little headshot. Sure. You know, I thought that was important that the family had expressed some support for that endeavor because, you know, we were heading off on a long journey. And uh, if I would have just scooped some kid off the sidewalk and put him in a movie, they could easily come back and say, you know, he never wanted to do this. Sure. But at least I thought this was a better chance out of the gate to only deal with kids who seemed to have enjoyed being an actor, who had the family support, and that that would create a situation more likely to make it to the end. So this all had to be conceived over this arc of 12 years, but you had to sort of, you know, write yep. the you know things that needed to happen in terms of what happened in the culture and also in terms of what happened in their life. Well, yeah. So that was the fun part, the process of writing. Like when you write a movie, the the order is you write it, you cast it and yeah. you shoot it right. and then you edit it and then right. it's done. Where this was like I, every year I got to write it, shoot it, yeah. edit it, and then, you know, maybe put it on the shelf for five months and then come back and look at it and think about it and then think about next year and what else might, what's going on in the world. So it was just a, it was 12 part process, but it was How really fun to spend those years just you know, when you're when you're working on something, everything's channeling into it. All your ideas are you – know, so I could go through my life going, any notion of parenting or any memory of childhood could maybe find a place in this. Well, I mean, but how how did you feel the final thing was? What was the effect it had on you? I know you've been in it, but, like, see, I'm confounded yeah. by it because it doesn't feel like a regular movie because well. you walk in knowing this thing. I don't know what it would have been like if I walked in not knowing that. I've talked to some people who don't know anything. They go in and – and what's their reaction? It really screws with their head. It's kind of great. Because they're sitting there going like, is that the same guy? Yeah. I've had people go, how did they ca – they're just trying to figure it out. Like, oh, where the movie starts. It's like, oh, it's a period film. Like, oh, look at that computer. Look at that game. They've, this is a period piece. And then it, it slowly catches up. And they go, oh, they've cast another kid that looks a lot like – how'd they do that? And so they're they're an hour in when they realize, oh, okay, this is all the same people and it's – I see what's going on here. But yeah. that's kind of beautiful that you could be so, you know, virginal, I guess, and have that experience. Well, it's interesting that, like, to me, that you you like this emotional movement through time. Like, it seems to be thematic with you, that there seems to be something, even with Slacker, that, you know, the, the story is not relevant. Yeah, there's no... And, and you know, I don't know if you like going back to that. Or, there is or no story. No, I know there's yeah. there's no story, that's, that's, but there are great. encounters, there are movements, yeah, and yeah. you find yourself wanting to get invested <laughs> with certain people, <laughs> and then they go away. They, they drift. Yeah, uh, but but that must have been where you were at. But you're you're yeah. you're what you were trying to sort of do on screen was figure out how you move through this time. Yeah. I, I like that you're talking about slacker because it is kind of related in some weird storytelling narrative sense. That's it seems like early, it is. It was an early idea of mine that I had in my early 20s when I was first getting into film that felt, again, kind of an original, a new way to tell a story I hadn't seen before. You know, I came to cinema thinking it was the Wild West, you know, like it was wide open territory. I really thought there were going to be, there were new ways to tell stories that I hadn't seen and the, what's unique about cinema and how it relates to time and structures. Where, and, where did all this hammer you? Know, you? Like, well, I mean, so you made Slacker when you were 28. What yeah. were you doing before that? 
I was watching movies and thinking about cinema. Well, I was making shorts and I was shooting a lot of. Did film you go to and film editing. school? No, I took a couple classes, but I didn't. I was kind of on my own. Where'd you go to school? Uh, Sam Houston State, a little school in East Texas. Yeah, I was in and around. Uh, I went to the Austin Community College a little bit. Took a few classes there. You never got a degree in anything. No, no, I'm, I'm student for life though. Good so, for you. Good so for you. I'm, I'm I, I'm proud of you. But I'm. Uh, <laughs> but I really do think a lot about storytelling and cinema and narrative and the possibilities and the structures and time and you know I'm the kind of guy who, who really I, there's a million stories in the world but it's like how to tell them so I was always excited about new forms. Well, it's and, interesting because with Slacker, you can just walk into the middle of someone else's story and then walk out. Mm-hmm. Don't need to finish anything there. Yeah. Not necessary. Well, I was trying to actually <laughs> capture, I mean, it was a couple levels. What I was thinking at that time was like, well, hey, I hadn't really, see- could you tell a story that would go from one character to the next interlinked? But I think what I was trying to capture was how you, how your mind processes a day. You know, you talk to someone like we're here now talking, but- at some point in the future, I'm going to get back in my car and go mm-hmm. somewhere. You know, like, you can't get out of your own little sequence. Yeah. And your also- life started when you became conscious at age three or whatever. And right. you're on a sequence you can't escape from. Right. And there's also what's going on inside your head and what's going on in actual reality. Yeah. That, that's a little, that's, that's a completely two, fucked up two thing. Different th- yeah. Yeah. There's this physical reality in front of you. But I, I, I was thinking in that was processing the people you meet, the encounters, the way time you drift through it. And you process the world around you and try to make sense of it. Yeah. And you're only grabbing, in, in Slacker's case, a few minutes of someone's life, an encounter. And mm-hmm. it always blew me away that people said, oh, they don't work or they don't. They were drawing these huge conclusions based on a three-minute, five-minute. Right. Like, you don't know. if How do you know they're not That's on their right. way to work? I Two for, people t- have anti-work crusade. You know, they, they, they wanted to hang mani- some on you. Manifestos I, or something. I it's, forgot about It's that. kind of funny. But- we do judge people because that's all we can do. You know, we're trying to make sense of the world and but make they it, hung something make on it you, com- comprehensive, they, you, right? But they they well, took like, that movie because it was a provocative movie, and, and yeah. no one had ever seen anything like it. And you know, it came out of nowhere in a way. And yeah. you were this oh, independent definitely. filmmaker, was, and then all of a sudden, you represented that movie. Represented oh, a generation. That was crazy. It was crazy. That was insane. It's still used. I mean, you know, it's still yeah. Sort of, the term was thrown around, and yeah, that you kind of. So how do you get to that can. point? So you're in you're in Huntsville. Yeah, you're doing your thing. What kind of what kind of kid were you? I mean, were you just like were you um, interested in the arts? Were you like a yeah? Did, did you actually have two sisters? I had I had two older sisters, and you know my kind of an academic family. We didn't have any money at all. There was no summer camps or vacations or anything, but. You know, education was important and arts were important. You know, my mom painted, my grandparents were kind of artists in their own way. And we went to museums and movies and culture, you know, stuff you could do cheap and free. My dad on weekend, he was kind of a weekend dad. We went to a lot of museums. In Houston. Yeah. Good museums in Houston. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the zoo, museums, it was always, you know, cultural. They they cared about our souls, I guess, you know, in that regard. So, um, yeah, I, I grew up. Think writing. I thought I would. Um, I just wanted to express stories and yeah. characters, and yeah. even, I was writing plays in junior high, even putting them on. Um, not really, just writing. Yeah, and yeah. Sometimes the school would perform, or we'd do readings. Right. And yeah. I, I had a gift for dialogue, and at a young age, I was. Yeah. I would win the short story contest. Or, right. Right. You know, I was that guy. But I was also parallel to that. I was um, an athlete. You know, I was happened to be 
it, it's embarrassing, but I was kind of like one of the better athletes. You know, I was a quarterback on the football team. I was the, you know, oh, baseball yeah? player. I went to college on a baseball scholarship. So I had this kind of dual world, but I, I kind of, at age 17, I would I would I was like I want to play in the major leagues baseball and be taken serious as a novelist. You know, mm-hmm. I have I I want to write books and I failed in both of those things in my life, but um but you made I, these I, great I discovered movies, movies somewhere, yeah. you know, around Do you age remember 20. where? Well, growing up in East Texas, it wasn't really an exp- the idea that you could make a movie, especially when I grew up. Yeah. Everybody knows that now. Everybody's a filmmaker. Everybody sure, knows what sure, a director is. Sure, You can is. do it with your phone. But yeah. Yeah. But back then, it was prohibitive. It was expensive. How old are you? I'm 54. So you're two, three years older than me. So yeah. we grew up in the same- Yeah. Like, I knew it, because like, dazed and confused. I'm like, I know that. I know that place. Yeah, we're the same, the same generation. Yeah. So it took me a while to discover that was my medium. I had right. this visual thing, and it clicked. I was writing you know, short stories and plays. Mm-hmm. At the moment, I really felt I was- discovering cinema and once i did that i never looked back but mm-hmm. uh it, you know it's still a long process. you remember what movie it was what what you made you it, believe it was no one movie um it was just kind of just um kind of falling in love with cinema in general you know what there's, are there's two different levels you know there's fi- films that make you love movies but those aren't the kind of movies you think you can make well what you know? movies it were... was independent films that i saw in the early 80s very low budget, some of early John Sayles movies. Oh, and, yeah. You know, yeah. Chan is missing. I can just list all the indie films that played at theaters then, and foreign films, too. I was Were you driving later, into Austin Truffaut. to see them? No, I was living, I had moved back to Houston. I was an offshore oil worker for like two and a half years. What would have been my junior and senior year of college, I got a job working. I was just kind of working on rig, oil rigs. Really? S- saving up my money. Yeah. It was a good experience. Wait, you go out on the uh, out in the water? Yeah, you fly out there in helicopters and hang out there for a week to 15 days sometimes. And So you got a head full of Truffaut and you're out on the oil and I'm re- rig. out there I'm reading. I'm reading the library when I wasn't working. So I got a lot of reading time. But on land, I noticed I was just, I, what did I do today? I read till noon and then I went to four movies. Hmm, I, must, I was kind of falling in love with cinema. What do you, you know? do as an offshore oil rigger? I was working with subsurface safety valves. I was kind of the grunt laborer. What does that mean? You underwater? No, you're on the rigs, but you're dropping tools down into the the wells. Um, they're very deep, but they right. have the the wellheads are yeah. up on those platforms. Right. So when I see Deepwater Horizon, you know, explode, I worked on the the elements that are trying to keep it safe. You have a you have a safety valve if the right. rig falls over in a hurricane that it seals and doesn't explode. So right. When I I've always been really aghast at something i said you know how many things have to go wrong for that to to happen it's all about safety and stuff so i was it's horrible when that happens that's a hell of a job yeah yeah a little people say was that dangerous i was like no i only knew only knew one guy who got killed (laughs) in my two years so i don't know if it's that dangerous how did he get killed oh a fire oh shit yeah really sad he was a friend I, i think about him to this day fairly regularly and uh, we he would just graduate. We were kind of the college boys. I'd been to uh-huh. two years of college, which was a little rare. Yeah. And he had just graduated with a degree in sociology. You know, uh-huh. what do you do with a sociology degree? You know, he fa- lucked into a job just yeah. the way I did, saving up money, not sure what to do with life. And then he worked on another rig, but I w- we would come back through and I'd hook up. And I went back one time to the same rig he worked on and said, hey, you, did you hear about Jimmy? Yeah, no, there's a fire. He, you know, he died. I was like, really? 
So I always think, you know, one of those sad little things the rest of like your life. The, you think you're living a life that he's not able to yeah. lead. Was know? he the first guy that you kind of knew like that? Who I had, We all had friends in then, car wrecks and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. There was cancer in car wrecks. I lost sure. friends growing up. but High school car yeah, wrecks. Yeah, that's kind of messed up too. So it's amazing any of us survive those years, but the odds are we will. So, so in... In in okay, so you did you you were after a new way of of telling a story and 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 doing something different with cinema, yeah, it came which you to did, me. yeah, and and in dazed and confused, which I thought, like when I saw that, I was like, all right, he's polishing it up a little, is <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Is uh, and, and your attention to detail was spectacular because it was a period piece, yeah, and it was my period, yeah, yeah, seventies rock and roll. <laughs> Yeah, man. <laughs> Thin and, Lizzie. Yeah, exactly. And I everything looked familiar to me because uh, Albuquerque was somewhere. You yeah, know, there yeah. was a place you'd go drive into the mountains and you'd party, and, and it was all the same. What do it's, teenagers do? You drive all, around, you try to be cool, you find a place of your own because yeah. you can't. You're not going to be in your house on a yeah. Friday or Saturday night and, looking for something to do. Bond. You McConaughey, <laughs> you found that guy. There's a guy like that in every town. That's why there I think is. people love that character of Wooderson so much. And Matthew so owned that guy because he came in on an audition and said, hey, I'm not this guy, but I know this guy. <laughs> and <laughs> That's every, what he said? Everybody, yeah, I know this guy. And he just became that character, that guy who's sort of hanging out. Oh, yeah, man. Maybe he has a job, but he's still dating high school girl. He gets cooler the older, you know, like the guys who couldn't date a girl their own age yeah but pretty soon by the time you're a senior freshmen just think you're cool because you're older and maybe you have a car right so you just you have to go he's to the about, younger girls you know he's a couple years away from creepy yeah yeah it's gonna get creepy here yeah. it, we figured oh he's like 22 right right 23 he's but once right. you're 25 yeah it's over and so uh, you usually you, just find the last one and marry one you know before it gets too where'd creepy. you cast that thing uh, where i lived in austin was it mcconaughey an austin mm-hmm. guy yeah he was a ut film student Really? Yeah. So you kind of discovered that guy. Well, I never, I never really believed that word because right. Well, you were the first to use him in a, that way. He had been in, I think he'd been in a couple commercials, and he, <laughs> yeah. done, I mean, his destiny was laid out. I was just there at the beginning. You know, Are you friends? How, yeah, yeah. I I talk to him all the time. You do? Yeah. Because what is it a Texas you, thing? Or you just I don't know. We're two guys from East Texas. You know, he grew up know. near you. Well, not really. East Texas is pretty large. It's you know, it's, yeah, it's a, up and down, but um, but similar town, similar thing, and our families were close. You know, we knew each other about five years before we realized. Get this, our dads played on the same college football team. Not only were they on the same team, they played the same position. They were both defensive ends in the early fifties for the University of Houston Cougars. Really, Matthew and my dad. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it, both of your dads. Yeah, they were on the same team. Matthew's dad passed away while we were making day, so I never met him. Uh huh. But uh, my dad is still with us. And I asked him, you know, years in, because Matthew said his dad. And I was like, do you ever play with a guy, you know, know a guy, McConaughey? He goes, yeah. yeah. He, he'd beat me out for the starting position one week, and I'd beat him out the next. And I'm like, that's Matthew's dad. And he goes, oh, gosh, I never put that together. <laughs> that's Isn't that funny? funny? Is your so, dad yeah, still we, in Texas? We go back, yeah. Yeah, I just talked to him. And your mom? 84. Yeah. Yeah, she's still in Texas, back in Huntsville. Really? I'm lucky. I'm really lucky at this age to I you know, it's I it's got weird. both of mine too. Yeah, I just, you know, it's that stage of life, but I'm I'm grateful, you know, that Well, you know, you talked a little bit about how, you know, making the movie and also living the life has, you know, changed your relationship with these people. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, having your own kids and then putting it on screen, some of that stuff emotionally anyway. Yeah. 
what, what what has changed between you and your mother? Have you was there what what is it? What exactly. Is it? is it forgiveness? Is it uh, it's, a it's deeper... understanding. It's okay. kind of like you know, like you look at your the best qualities of your parents and you'd like to think you inherited them or you you're aware of those in yourself. You'd like to think. My mom was very passionate and very uh you know, kind of get things done. Kind of a manipulator too. Yeah. Like, hey, we're gonna build a patio this weekend. Yeah. Right. Like, I kind of want to just like watch TV and not do much. Oh no, you know, yeah, she would get you fun. working, and you need that as a director. <laughs> hey, let's put on a show. Yeah. Hey, you can do this, and you, you know, you have to be kind of a manipulator. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> she was good at that. Yeah. And uh, and but very passionate. You know, followed that. You know, my dad's very level-headed and and rational. He's uh-huh. the ultimate. I don't know what they were doing together, but. <laughs> but they, they they got about a ten year marriage and three kids out of the deal until uh-huh. they I think they weren't Just meant for up. each other. Yeah. Sure. But uh I I like my dad's level headedness and I was able to I think grab some of that because you know, But did you, you always kind of pragmatic with, get along with them? Yeah, pretty much. I, yeah. I mean you know, varying degrees of alienation at certain points, but uh never never a hostile situation right. or that I felt they were in general supportive of i mean it got a little in my 20s i think they just didn't understand what i was doing like are you working no are you what are you doing i'm like "Ah, watching movies and and trying to it's like you had such potential we thought you would be something right by now you know 25 26 27 i'm a shot of film you know your friends are becoming lawyers and yeah PhDs and yeah, but you already dropped out of school though. Yeah, it's like, well, have you thought about getting back in school? I was right. Like, no, I'm really into what I'm doing. You know, so it wasn't until like cause, uh, by the time the movie came out, I was like 29, pushing 30 when Slacker, and it was like once they see your picture in the paper in an article yeah. about the movie, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, something's happening. Yeah, that's that's cool. It means something. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's like, yeah. So I had that decade of kind of right. Un- you know, undetermined. So I have a sympathy for people in their twenties. Slightly you know. disappointed parents. Yeah, slightly, yeah. but but supportive. But right. they loved me. I never questioned. There was no, nothing they can, they can do at yeah. that point. And I wasn't asking them for any money. Oh, you that know? helps. <laughs> that helps. I wasn't. You know, I so was they had kinda, no control. They had no technical control. It's just encouragement. But my, you know, the dad gives the advice. Well, right. you should think about maybe getting back in school, or you know. And my mom <laughs> was like, "Oh, honey, if you're if you don't, you're not asking me for anything, and if." You're not working and you're not in school and you're happy. That sounds great. You know, she was, my mom's a little subversive too. She, she was uh-huh. kind of troublemaker. Yeah. A little, she had that, uh-huh. you know, so she was like, oh, if you can get away with that, that's great. You know, a little bit of stick it to the man. Yeah. Oh, attitude. And you, you've got a little, she's of that. a little radical. When did you start to, uh, waking life was until 2001, huh? Yeah. It came out. I started that in 99. Oh, so you've been working on it for a while. I've been thinking about waking life for years and years. What, because what, like, that's kind of closer to slacker, actually. It is it structurally. Is. It is. So, what was the idea there? You know, actually, if you want to put those two movies together, the the dream I describe in slacker in the monologue at the beginning of the movie yeah. really is waking life. Yeah, a dream in a in a way. <laughs> the the, the, the yeah. idea for waking life preceded me even one knowing I was a filmmaker. Right, it was based on a an actual lucid series of lucid dreams I had as a senior in high school. Is that true? Yeah, and I thought it was a, it was some strange evening, not drug induced, maybe tension induced or whatever. But I I fell into this thing and just couldn't wake up. But it was aware I was dreaming and I right. was kind of on some quest. And yeah. it, it really stayed with me. And when I finally did wake up, you know, pouring sweat, 
by really? you know I'd been asleep for only like five minutes, a few minutes. Sure, and it was, it was something that always stuck with me, and I was trying to discover what that is. And I, I did a lot of scientific research and studied about lucid dreaming and what it is and what it is is, and, and even talked to some of the foremost, you know, experts, scientists in in that field. So I learned a lot about you know the brain science behind it. But for me as a storyteller, I was like, that's a great narrative device. You know, yeah. it's an ultimate kind of story, a dream within a dream with a right. story and the levels. And so I had kind of, that had been swimming around as a kind of a story I wanted to, something I wanted to try and to And animation express. enabled you to do that? Exactly. Because yeah. it, it was really boring and, and pretentious and all that live action. But when I saw the animation technique some friends of mine were working on, were developing um, there in Austin, some buddies of mine, I was like, you know that that film that doesn't work yeah. that I've been thinking about for all these years, if it looks like that, it'll work because it's, it's real sound and, and yet it's clearly a human construct, you know, uh -huh. it's a painting, it's uh -huh. a drawing and yet it feels real. And that's how dreams are. You know, a dream right. is you accept them as reality. It's right. only when you wake up that you go, Oh wait, I was in a trench in world war one or, you know, I know somewhere and yeah, yeah. I, uh, there was someone there who I know died 10 years ago, but that should have tipped me off that it was wasn't real, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I accepted it as real. We accept them as real. So I thought, oh, that's an interesting. It's an interesting and it worked way to too. tell a story. It, it, you know? it was. A, it, you had to adapt to it. Yeah, yeah. You have to. <laughs> but I love <laughs> yeah. that about movies, though. There's yeah. a certain latitude within movies, and I've always yeah. believed this. Like, if you set your terms of what the movie is, the audience wants to go there. You just have to be. You have to lay it out and be consistent with it and be clear. And I, I'm actually. Despite all the kind of radical forms around some of my movies, that I'm really trying to tell a pretty clean story, a pretty direct communication of something, and it, it's often just in a told in a very different way. But I, I am trying to communicate, you know, directly. Yeah, I'm not trying to. I'm like, um, you not know, you're I trying. Like, to, I like a clean story. You're not told. trying to hide anything. Or no, I'm, make or it be, complicated. Be too obscure. Sure. Like, there's enough complication around. That's like. Again, some kind yeah. of life. And there's also, enough noise, and can we just talk directly? It's sort of a cop out too. It's hard to do to complicate, you know, or to let, yeah. you know, or to sort of like, no, I'm not going to resolve that. I don't appreciate that kind of cleverness because there's, I mean, it can be done well, but I don't like it when someone's toying with me, just right? Because they can. Well, it's know. and then like the the trilogy that you did before sunrise, before sunset, and then before midnight. Right. Did you know when you did before sunrise that this was the plan? No. Okay. No. Because no. this is all part of this weird obsession I think you have. A mild obsession <laughs> with people aging. Yeah, or And time. what happens. Time. Yeah. I mean- What time I had, does. I had no idea. I mean, I was, I'm roughly 10 years older than Julie Nathan, and I was trying to make a film about, you know, two young people who feel this attraction to one another, who have this connection. And that's autobiographical, you know. I'd it did feel like a, far, a foreign film, though, a little bit. Well, yeah, and it helps that it's in a foreign city. It's but, in, but no, yeah, it but has a, it's the, very European. Allowing them to talk, yeah, you know, it's, it's and almost that, and, more French, right? You know, like, like you a, mentioned Truffaut, yeah, there, there or is, like a Eric Romer film, yeah, definitely, yeah, right? Like two people talking and not yeah. much happening, and love is in the air. That's enough. That yeah, that's enough. That's how my <laughs> mind works, you know. And yeah. as a filmmaker, it's sort of my own curse, you know. Mm -hmm. Like even I was in my twenties and I, I met this woman in Philadelphia, and we walked the streets all night 
you know, it, it took hours and hours to even kiss. You know, it was yeah. like just the, our minds were firing and we were talking and there was this real connection. And it's great. Who knows? Right? Is that hormonal? Is it whatever it is? What happened but, to that woman? But even as I was doing that, I was like, I want to make a film about this. And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, this, just this feeling, you know? So I'm trying to make a film. Is that, is Five that, years later, I'm trying to make a, that film about just a feeling. Was it, that the line where you kissed her, though? It wasn't a narrative. When you said, no. I want to make a film about, come on. About, yeah, we have to kiss somewhere yeah. in here. No, I don't think so. I'm what, more of like a Woody Allen, uh, Annie Hall. Let, let's right. get the first kiss yeah. over with right now so we can, you know. Now let's talk about like, uh, because I was talking to my, my friend about this, too, that you you have... You were able to do exactly what you want to do as an artist. And and it seems like even the big, huge movies, you like School of Rock. With, now, that yeah. was a movie, made some money. Yeah. A lot of money. It did pretty well. <laughs> so It didn't feel like we were setting out to make a hit. You know, we were. I was trying to make a cool movie that I would like. And with you and Mike. Jack Black and Mike White. We all just, let's let's make a cool movie. You know, I think we, have, idea a, was we have a commercial structure. It was Mike White's idea. Yeah. You know, he had this vision. He knew Jack. Yeah. He had no, this idea. Yeah. I've talked to him. I've talked to both of them. Yeah. yeah. Great guys. And they had this vision for all these kids playing instruments. And I was like, yeah, let's had a script. And I just sort of came aboard right at the point. It was sort of starting to go the wrong direction. Maybe it was being overdeveloped by uh -huh. the studio. And I kind of, you know, a film needs a director. So I came in and I think with Mike and Jack, we just said, okay, we've got kind of what we need here. Let's just make it cool you know we don't need to end it with them winning the thing and donating the money you know, it, was, it yeah. was too overly plotted right you know in a certain way and so i like to think i came in and sort of you know and you know, as a storyteller you just kind of streamline and make something make sense to you uh -huh. you know and so i again that kind of clear storytelling a lot of films they don't even recognize the the power of the medium they're working in they overly right. explain things they Oh, why will we care about this character right. unless his dog has died and his, you know, they overly plot things. That right. You, you know, audiences get it. It's called identification. Mm -hmm. You put a, someone on the screen and spend five minutes with them. <laughs> yeah. and I guess that's our hero. And you can use that to crazily subversive ends. Travis Bickle and Taxi Driver. I care about him. Why? Because I'm intimate with him. I see him right. driving. I, I feel he's vulnerable. He's a vet. He's writing a in a point. diary. I never thought about but that. But then at some point you go... This guy's a psychotic. Yeah. He's out to shoot a presidential candidate and kill some other people that he's judging in an Old Testament fashion. That right. You know, so this guy, he's not really a good citizen, is he? Right. But but we like him. You know, Tony Perkins in, in uh, you know, Psycho. Right. He's already killed or, you know, he's dispensing of, you know, the car. Yeah. And it's, it's in the quicksand or that pit and it almost sinks in the audience. We go... Once it goes under, we're like, ah, oh, we're relieved. You yeah. know, Hitchcock's really twisted that way. So we're now on the side of the the bad guy. Yeah. You know, like f film's powerful in in senses of identification. Sure. And so you don't need a whole bunch of background. You don't need to explain everything. People <laughs> are with it. We're humans <laughs> yeah. relating to other humans. It. And we, you don't. Right. So films spend, and this is. You know, most scripts, the first 20, 30 pages where they're trying to explain and build up and all these studio notes about why should we care about them? What are the stakes? You know, just get to it. You know, yeah. just get to it. You know, and people make note. up their own mind. Right. Yeah. Don't it's over a, explain. It's a powerful medium. You don't need to. Oh, boy, you see some bad, bad movies that just never stop over explaining. Oh, yeah. Well, they have to because that's why I've kind of largely avoided plot 
driven. I just don't think that way. Right. And what I've largely done, I think, if I had to analyze it, would replace like plot machinations, you know, with um, structures to do with time, you know, because that's how we process the world, you know, in our own world, our our lives well, we're living. And so I've kind of replaced one for the other. But one to me is very true to life. Like people get it. Yeah. Oh, it's you're going to shoot this and it'll be 85 minutes of real time walking around Paris. Okay. I, I understand that because I've spent 85 minutes walking around today, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's not hard to crack that as a structure. You just have to make it compelling and believable. But that's what I just remember was that was an interesting thing about 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 boyhood is that there were moments where. You got the the groove. You got that we were we were in the simple mm-hmm. life of just people, you know, going through life. But there were moments where you thought like, "This something's going to go down." Oh, it's about to happen. Yeah, yeah. I never. That's crazy to me, and it, it shows. <laughs> I I never. Wait, knew. you heard that before? Yeah, no. The first screening we had, and you know, I had shot the movie, and we made you know the actors. We we all were so surprised when we we're sitting there at Sundance with twelve hundred people. Yeah. in the theater and this is the i'm thinking like the scene where they're farting around throwing blade saw blades at the walls at sheetrock at a oh, teenage kids. camping right. trip right and there's these blades around there's kids that's, hanging, that's the scene you see feel the audience just i heard a chill right oh. and we're like an hour and 20 minutes into the movie at this point or hour and halfway through the movie and I felt this chill i thought, oh my god they think something's about to happen and it had never crossed my mind never as the creator and my actors, we never even talked about it. But I said, oh, wow, that's so interesting. We're, we're so conditioned. That's it. To think, okay, why would we be watching a movie unless something extraordinary happens? You know? I felt that it, that was exactly the scene. Yeah. And, and then there's later, like the dad says, hey, no driving and texting. And then he's driving with his girlfriend. And she shows him a text and a picture of a little pig. And yeah. he's driving and actually looking at the phone. So you think, okay, here's where the car goes off the road. But the truth is. You know, we all drive and look at our <laughs> devices and hope we don't get in wrecks. Right. And what's frustrating is when uh, you get ahead of a movie. Yeah. You know, the horror film, like, really, don't... How about locking the door? You know, whatever, when they're doing dumb things on screen. So I wanted my the problems of boyhood to be feel like real to life, like, you know, the kind of life... All right, the so problems we confront and try to resolve best we can. And I like get that. over, you know. I like that she remains... Like the the mother character is somewhat unapologetic, yeah. And and I I think that was a good decision. That you know you sort of she comes <clears throat> she's clearly yeah. <clears throat> there for the kids, mm-hmm. has her own problems, but you know her life. She's a good mother. Yeah, she loves her kids and right. she's trying. Right, but, but, is she but a good mother. She's going to have a life. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it felt in my household. It's like, <laughs> you know, my mom was my mom. She you right, know, and uh, there weren't a lot of looking back. Yeah, you know, yeah, there wasn't a lot of introspection. It's like, oh well, yeah, that right. didn't work out. Or if you have you ever come up to her with the sort of like, why didn't you? Or why? Why? How come? I'm afraid <clears throat> to really? ask that. I'm kind of non-confrontational. Wow, I think my sisters have. What they sisters, get. Oh, you know, little all crying and emotional, you know, it's like, I, but I think once we were all older and had kids, my sister, you start judging your parents differently. And, and they were like, well, why did, why did we do that? Or how did that happen? Or what, you know, you start, you have this, like I was saying, this generational lag of 
communication and what are you finding thoughts. we never got to that what are you finding your relationship with your mother is now and with the with your kids and uh you know just you know you're kind of is she better with resolved, the grandkids? Yeah, resolved right. you know it's like yeah you, it's what it was that's the way i am with almost every element of my life it's like yeah those are the cards you're dealt you did the best you can that's your hand make the best of it don't look back you know i don't know but you process it in a two hour plus movie you know, I mean, you're yeah, processing yeah. those emotions. Sure, I am. And maybe that's, you know, there was some trauma in childhood. It wasn't, I mean, I think we all are feel traumatized just as humans in this world. Just yeah. trying to, every psyche is extremely complex and it's really hard to just make it through the world no matter what, you know, where you start from. But you had, uh, from your point of view, when you were a kid at that age, that that guy that your mom was dating in the mm. movie. I don't want to keep saying your, but in the movie yeah, yeah. was a guy you dealt with. Sure. So on some level, you know, that to me, no matter who you are, sure, you know, mm. life is what it is. There's the cards you dealt, but that that's a violent environment. Sure. And, and it's a frightening environment. And when you're in, 10. Intimidating. When you're 8, 9, 10, it's, 12. It can be devastating because like you yeah. got your real dad and then you got this stranger. I know. Who your mom... Who wanders? That, he wanders into your. This is stepmothers can fall in the same. You know, there's a whole you know Cinderella thing. Like, ooh, mm. watch out for stepmothers too, because suddenly there's this adult authority figure in life exerting control and opinion right. over you. And wow, like I didn't invite you here, and, and you're not my dad, and you're not my biological anything, and I'm not even going to call you dad. You know, I'm sorry, because you're not my dad, right? And yet you're in my house. I can't like I don't think I ever really registered what that must have been like as much in, in mm-hmm. empathetically until I saw your yeah, movie. I, I talked to a woman last night just at a, at a function. She came up to me and thanked yeah. me for that. She goes, "I don't think I've seen that in a movie where the multi household, the new parents like that. What it feels like to go back and forth and have new. Yeah, it's not. I mean, there's some dramatic moments, but it's just also like, well, that's the life you adapt to because uh-huh. you're you're just adapting to your because you're a kid, new, you right? surroundings and oh. kids kids are amazingly adaptable sure. you know you read these studies about like homeless kids sure like hey we're living in a cardboard box under a freeway and the kids are like okay let's go the grocery store is where the cardboard is let's go get, we'll go out and get it when it quits raining and right. they're very adaptable like it's as sure. a species and they're sure. kind of like let, let's get together and make this work but, you know, but clearly your parents were stable enough because you've got your shit together and yeah, you, and, and so do my sisters, you know. Right, so, you know, and your mom, that was the integrity of that character and, and obviously of your mother is that she may be stubborn mm-hmm. and she may have made bad choices, but she's certainly going to look out for you. Yeah, at the end, we were always going to kind of pull through. <laughs> I mean, do you have a choice, you know, but but yeah, it, it felt it felt that way. So Fast Food Nation, I love that book. I enjoyed the movie a lot. It was it must have been a hard thing to figure out. What the hell the story was going to be from that book. Yeah, that was, you know, Eric Slosser and I got to talking and he's like, you know, what would the movie from this book be? And I said, well, wouldn't it be a documentary, you know? And eventually, years later, they did make a movie kind of called Food Inc. Yeah. That was, you know, it's not based on Fast Food Nation, it's a, but yeah, Eric it's a, was involved in it. Sure. That, but our job, and I was like, well, I tell stories, you know, I'm I'm a character guy. I'm, I'm you know, like working with actors. And, and so we were talking about dramatizing stories within that 
non-fictional environment right. that would tell the story in a in a different way, you know. So that was a challenge to adapt that material, but it was it was really fun to kind of see the multi-sides of like the fast food meal. You know, you got the executives, you got the immigrant laborer, you've got the teenager working at the place and you know, it's it's a fun way to to tell a story. How'd you, you know, feel about that movie? Challenging. Uh I, I like it. It was a it was that and I did that and Scanner Darkly came out around the same time. And looking back on it, it's like those are both really kind of dark, bleak, strange stories and I think that was what was going on in my head at that time. I was like Bush Cheney era mm-hmm. grimness. You and know. grew up with those guys. Yeah, we we, we at least the Bushes. We endured that decade, that that time. It was a tough century. <laughs> the first <laughs> chunk of it for a lot of people. I feel sorry for kids. Yeah, at least I was, you know, an adult. When did you start going to Austin? Oh, as a teenager, I visited some older friends there and kind of thought, oh, this seemed like a pretty, you know, you go to some music at the Continental Club, you go to Barton Springs and there's half naked girls running around. You're like, hey, I could I could live here. So it was always like that. <laughs> it was always a little yeah, groovy. The, it wasn't a, a, it was a big music scene. The film yeah. scene, they had a big film school there, but the film scene was kind of marginal um, when I got there and it's been one of the great, um, you know parts of my life to be a part of a, a, a film world that's kind of growing there culturally didn't you create the austin film yeah, society yeah but almost 30 years ago it's 30 years oh, we started in 85 what was started the, showing movies is that know? what the original intention yeah, was Yeah, we just showed a lot of movies you couldn't see on campus or anywhere else in town where what was the venue um the doby theater the, uh-huh. the extinct doby theater they let us show at midnight and i just walked in there and talked to the manager hey i want to show these movies and we'll split the money and i just i was so passionate about film and i was making my own films then but i, I kind of wanted to do something you know i had a bigger calling about cinema uh-huh. and i still do you know we we give out grants we show a ton of movies i still host film series you know i'm not doing the grunt work like i did all right. those years so i'm not like what's Write, some writing re- the grants right. and booking the films and shipping and that was a it was you know even in my non-productive 20s I did start a non-profit organization that's still around and is a major Does it have its own venue now? Yeah. Yeah, the Marquesa. There yeah, we've got our own 200 plus seat theater and show movies there and film every we're, day. We're, we're finding the good fight. Yeah, we show 20 something a month. Yeah. We give out we've given out like 1.5 or 4 or 5 million in grants to filmmakers around the state and i'm I'm as proud of the film society and what it's become and what we've accomplished than you know my own films yeah it's a it's been a wonderful parallel life that i can put time into you know and do you get when uh when you give out grants and stuff do you did what may what how do you decide do you do it on do you decide oh, we have some works? panelists from uh-huh. out of state who just they go through proposals and uh-huh. work samples and, uh-huh. and, and people need encouragement you sure, know it's sure. the culture really doesn't care about art yeah and often the artists themselves young artists in particular uh-huh. haven't always had the family encouragement so i've found that and it happened in my life i got a grant for you know $2600 to help me finish slacker and you did i, I parlayed that into getting family to give loan me money to finish and you know so sometimes that's the first like affirmative um like you, know, you yeah, shot go, in the arm you've ever had as sure. an artist like hey good mm-hmm. good effort yeah, I, yeah, yeah so it's it's even beyond the money it's i think the notion that the the bigger world cares 
and that they want to support an artist because the culture is can be kind of cruel to to artists. I don't think we put enough emphasis on it. It's always the first thing cut from schools and sure. it's seen as a sidebar, but I really think, you know, art and creativity it will save us, you know. I it's, do. It's it's so important well. for the human soul and for the culture and and it's the worst the it's, Yeah, it's bad so, teachers horrible and we, we so undervalue yeah. the absolute most important yeah. things because you can't find you can't do the math and find a place for it in the marketplace but it's the ultimate thing that will save us all i don't think education people... and feelings and sensitivity and right and the culture just the i mean it's never been any better it's better in other places in the world than it is the united states the winner take all capitalist you know when they can't find a bottom line place for something that like a teacher mm -hmm. you know it's like oh well do we even need that yeah you know, do we yeah. really need let's zero out the nea you know a bunch of elitists it's crazy you know, it's, it's insane you couldn't do a worse investment to cut stuff like that yeah and, and the the thing is is that as things go away it becomes harder to find and 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 you need yeah. things like what you're doing to provoke the people that are like us that you're <laughs> wandering around when you're 15 and like this looks cool I want yeah. I want to know about that. I know. I've enjoyed uh, just in boyhood like yeah. there's been some really younger teenage viewers to see things and see them spring up like, "Oh wow." Like that, you know, I to to feel like you've kind of jumped into someone's life and jostled them around a little bit. I never it's think great. that way when I'm doing anything, but right. when you see the result and you you see some kid kind of going, Oh wow, that was like a lot like my life, and it makes me think about my mom and my dad and my. It's great. And I'm like, oh, that's cool because that that kind of stuff sure inspired me. You know, I I live for those moments when I felt connected to something far, mm -hmm. far away from me, but through art, you know, sure it made me think the world was a was an okay place and there was a place for me in it. Do you draw some sort of line where do you, are there movies that you do for money? No, not really. I never have. No. I haven't had to. Right. I keep a low overhead, and I've never done a movie that I wasn't super, like, thinking I was the only person who could do that. Even someone like School of Rock is a good example. Well, or, people love that movie. I'm not begrudging or, that movie, but no, the remake no. of The Bad News Bears, what was that? But it, it's, I came from the exact same place I came from School of Rock, which was, like, this movie seems to be happening. It's the only two times I've kind of come aboard a project oh. that, that I didn't originate. Right. And, you know, that's kind of what our industry is. Right. And in both cases, I felt like, well, it seemed like that movie was going to get made with or without me. But I felt called to, like, I'm the kind of the right guy to do it. Because right. I know that subject so well. In, in School of Rock, it was that character, Jack's character, Dewey Finn. He's yeah. kind of me in a parallel world. Right. And the rock and roll, uh, you know, that was me. Music's such a big part of my life. And I, I felt I knew. And I had a daughter just that age at that moment. So I felt a sensitivity to fifth graders right. at that moment. So I yeah. thought, you know, all the roads lead to me being the best guy to do this movie. I have right. to feel like I'm the only, because if sure. anyone can do it, I, sh I shouldn't do it. You yeah, know, yeah, someone, yeah. And I've turned down plenty of movies over the years that I think are better movies because someone else directed it. Right. Like I wasn't the right sensibility. So the industry, there's a lot of matchmaking going on. You're, you know, there's all these stories, you know, maybe an adapted book, a remake, uh, you know, whatever. And they're just matchmaking for the right sensibility. And a smart producer or studio head might get that. You know, right. in, in School of Rock, it was Scott Rudin, the producer, who kind of started pestering me <laughs> to yeah. do it. And, yeah. I, and I said no at first. And then he convinced me 
that it was going to be a good creative experience, which it was. You mm-hmm. know, I was kind of afraid of maybe that you hear the horror stories like, oh, you know, some bad Hollywood experience. But I, I sit before you having not had a bad experience. Like both, th- those are big movies for me. They're like 30 million, which is a low budget studio film, believe it or not. But for me, that's a it's a bigger film. But it's, and you feel that it's great to have those resources, though. Right, I got fifty days to shoot the film. Do you not, feel the not pressure? 15. Though, do you get? It? I don't. You know, as a former athlete, I don't really accept the pressure. See, that's see, that's I, what it, makes I a director. It, I don't a director. let it get to me. That's what makes a director yeah. a director. Pressure's a choice. I don't. Man, pressure's you know, a choice. I don't. I don't see it as that. I saw it as an opportunity. I thought I could take what I do, what I thought was my own working methodologies and take it to a studio level. And frankly, it's a big challenge to make a studio comedy. You know, I see a lot of comedies and I go, it's funny, but they left a lot of humor on the table. Uh-huh. You know, I think comedy is a craft. Yeah. You know, you really work it and you you make it work and you rehearse and you, you know, I, I have a, I brought a methodology and a lot of thinking to, to you know, certain comedies. So, But that's not innately your thing, is it? No, it, I don't, I mean, on one level, in in both those cases, it it was like a perfect little moment in my life where yeah, I could sure, do it. Sure. If, if I was offered either of those today, I wouldn't because I'm doing other things. So you're but, excited. You had a kid that was around that age. Yeah, and, you know. and I felt kind of like I got to feel. And it was the first time I said yes to something that, you know, I was like, well, I'm a little older. I could, if it didn't end up a good experience, I could live with it. It wouldn't mess up my trajectory of what I think I'm here to do pressure is a choice is that something you learned in in high school athletics it's kind of a thing a coach tells you a smart a smart coach is that where you heard it but not i heard it more recently i didn't hear it when i needed to hear it (laughs) i know i made a documentary about a a very uh interesting coach at the university of texas and that's a kind of a thing he would say Uh uh-huh what documentary was that it was called uh inning by inning portrait of a coach augie garrido the the Kind of the greatest college baseball coach, the most winningest coach in NCAA history, and that. But that's not what he's about. He's kind of a Zen master and has a lot to say about the metaphors of the game and life. And I mean, he's just a cool old guy. You're kind you know? of a Zen guy. Yeah, I, I actually related to what a head coach goes through is a lot like what a film director goes through. You're sort of seeing greatness in others and trying to maximize their skills, whether it's an actor, a composer. A production designer, a costume designer. You've also you know, got to keep your shit together for everybody. Yeah, and then you have to be kind of a central authority orchestrator of all this creative energy and abilities. Uh-huh. And so that's a, an ability in itself. You know, a lot of directors were kind of, um, you maybe you don't possess, like none of us could be as good at actors, but you know a lot about acting. You know, you know, I know just enough. And, and same with every element of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. You know, there's people who specialize more in all of it, but... I feel like I know, you know, do you I know what I'm going for? Sure. Well, I, clearly you have to. Yeah. Do you uh, hang out with the other, uh, you know, Austin guys? Like you know, when Mike judge was there, were you guys yeah. hanging out? Yeah. What about Rodriguez? Old, old friend. Yeah. See him, you know, Robert, everybody's kind of doing their own thing, but yeah, Robert's would, got a whole operation out there. It's he's a mogul. He's, he's <laughs> amazing. He's an amazing guy, you know? So I'm, I'm always kind of awed by Robert's, you know, just sheer energy and creativity. Do you use his facilities ever? Every now and then. And he uses, we're kind of next door neighbors. Oh, really? Yeah. He has a studio right next to the film society. So we're, we're neighbors, brothers, you know, all all the way down the line. Been friends for a long time. That's great. Yeah. And what about Mike? 
Yeah, Mike, I, you know, he used to be in Austin Moore. I think he's out here yeah, a little yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, he's back out here. Uh, but no, just a genius, you know. And one of the funniest, like, lunch companions you'll ever, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, his imitations, yeah. his, oh, yeah, man, that guy is He's one. He's unbelievable. He comes from uh, Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah. Weren't you in one like of the Beavis? But you were in the movie, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. He. I was doing imitations, you know, of yeah. like a high school football coach, and oh, he right. liked the way I kind of imitated one of them. Like I want, you know, how some old guys kind of hit this upper register, especially Southern guys. Yeah. I'm warning you, you better. You know, they yeah, hit yeah. this register that <laughs> what? That's not your voice. But when they get angry, yeah. So I don't know. I think he thought it was. <laughs> funny but he asked me to come in the studio and play a bus driver who yeah beats the shit out of like beavis or something yeah so it was it was just fun it's so i i like that you guys have a community <laughs> down there and yeah and there's a there's a pretty ton of back. other like indie directors making really excellent films you know austin it's anybody we, come we, out we of we your keep, program that you uh, oh yeah quite yeah a lot yeah a lot you know and you guys doing features yet mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah no tons it's sundance every year there's like numerous features from austin, from austin film society grants yeah and a lot of them are former grantees and people who you know like right out of college they stayed there uh -huh. and they you know made a film and made their next film and you know i could list quite a quite a quite a few well geez man it's great talking to you you're doing great stuff and i love the new film it was like nothing i'd seen before and well, thank uh, you well that's that's high praise to just you know trying to do something you, know, you haven't seen before so that's what it felt like to me i was definitely making a film i hadn't made before yeah so. <laughs> and it was great talking to you man. i'll see yeah. you in austin all right man all right buddy and we never talked about phil linnett and thin lizzie we can no it's we cool. can still do it he he's just an amazing guy i mean he's this black irish dude with a big fro yeah who's uh, Dude, nobody sounds like him man rock and roll in that voice nobody sounds like like phil linnett nobody you know and one of the most beautiful songs he ever did is called Still in Love with You. You yeah. know that song? Yes. Oh, it's it's a most beautiful ballad. He oh. could do he could do anything. Yeah. Who was your main your main yeah. high school bands? Wow. From where I started high school, like, you know, FM Top 40, Leonard yeah. Skinner, Zeppelin, Aerosmith, and where I ended was like Zappa, Beefheart, King Crimson. Really? Yeah. I had my own little I had a kind of a weird yeah. similar arc. So you had the mainstream shit. Yeah. And then I met the dude to work at the record store. And then I was into Bowie. Yeah. Uh, like, what do you do? The Here, Residents. Have, like, Residents. Have you heard of this guy, Brian right. Eno? And right. Eno was, it was another a great one. time. There was all this experimentation. Yeah. Hey, and you had to have a guy show you that shit, though. The guy who owned Evolution Records <laughs> in, in yeah. Huntsville, Texas, this little, in a little conservative town, a, a record store called Evolution, which is Whoa. challenging their belief system alone. It's not the place where Britt Daniel grew up in. Is it the no. guy from Spoon? No, he grew up in a town, Taylor, which is I believe Taylor. It's Taylor yeah, that's right. Which similar, is experience. similar. Yeah, yeah. The, you're the weird guy, but you, there's always that little nook you can hang. In. That's why the Evolution record Records. Yeah, right there in in Huntsville, Texas. He was the just, dude, right? Yeah. Brian and, Eno. And, yeah, and there were always guys. You know, they're like, "Hey, have you checked out?" It's it's great. You know, it's just that's so, that it's so important. But you, yeah. I guess people do that online now. I mean, right? I, I don't know, it's man. Like, it's just like, I don't know. Friends, what... like someone you don't really know and you can show your interest and they can take you. It seems you... like there's a little more of a sort of like one-upsmanship going on and there's mm -hmm. sort of, as opposed to like actually sharing. It's like you can go look at anything you want online and get access yeah. to it. But to actually be standing before a dude that's usually a little older than you. Yeah, you that look up. shit. They have taste. They're right. 10 years older than you. They know They've shit. They've been through shit. Secret shit. 
Yeah. The secret shit, because Beefheart, that's secret shit. Yeah, that's like, yeah, it's it's secret. You're not going to... Yeah, and Zappa, like to be like, introduced it, into that world. Like, did you... oh, you like Zappa? Well, have you ever heard Trout Mass West? Yeah. <laughs> right, like, right. Zappa produced it. It's like, yeah. okay. Yeah. A new tree branch forms. Oh, my God. I just got into that branch. It took me up until last year, two years ago. Really? Yeah. yeah. You were into Zappa when you were a teenager? Teenager, yeah. Did in, you like in, heavy in? Into or? college, yeah. Once I went <laughs> in, I went way in. I'm one of those freaks. I have really? every album. Ever. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's and when I was younger, it was you know Beatles, Stones, you know like you, cover, you got all you that cover. That's like Christmas carols, man. They're yeah. in place. They're in place. They're right. not going anywhere, and they're great. Right. You know. Right. But, but yeah. Then yeah. the Zappa universe, someone gives you that. But Brian Eno too. It's like what the fuck? Yeah. Like, and the oh, residents wow. and that whole world. Yeah. All that art rock going on. Yeah. So yeah, you had your mind art rock, and then you know, and then it got more punky and more new mm-hmm. new wave punky. You know, pretty soon I saw that happen. I discover though. that you were already out of high school. Mm-hmm. Like, that started coming in, like, the new wave stuff. Like, I was still... Because you graduated, what? In uh, 79. 70- right. So, I graduated in 81. Mm-hmm. So, those last couple of years, shit started changing. Oh, yeah. There were some skinny ties on the quad. Oh, it changed. Yeah. It changed rapidly. You know, this movie... I just shot a movie that'll be out probably next summer, fall, or whatever. Yeah. But it's set in 1980. It's about a college freshman. You just show up at college, and you're listening to Van Halen, but you... And you go to discos to chase women, but then you know you you end up at a punk club or a country bar because urban cowboy was oh, that's, that's like, that was so right. it, all these different. It was all on the table, like some of that stuff. That's great. Was, that's great. So it's an interesting cultural moment because then they go to an art party and they're listening to the Talking Heads. That's, I live that. That's yeah, fucking so it's, fascinating, so it's, dude. It's a cultural moment where that's what is it that? was all on the table, and I'm like, who am I? Am I a punk? Am I a new? Am I heavy metal? Am I you no. knew disco was dying. Though. Well, disco sucked anyway, but you secretly, I'm, I'm amazed how that stuff has aged. Like I, I, I explained yeah, to my sure. cast because they go, I'm all these young guys who weren't yeah, nowhere sure. near even being born sure. then. And they were liking all this disco music. I said, okay, let me tell you, I, I secretly like the beats and the way some of it felt, but as a thinking rock and roller you you could never admit it. You, you had to say this stuff sucked. You can say it now. You can say, you can it, say now. it now. I, it, I listen to Donna Summer now. Yeah, I listen to. Uh, I, I like. All, I kind of rediscovered all this stuff, and it it just seems so that shallow. Song, like don't leave me this way with oh, that yeah. bass line. Well, yeah. no, it's kind of great, but the the on, the shallowness of it was kind of projected onto it because you knew it was kind of disposable. They'd go into a studio. Often it was producer based. They sure. get some singers and beats, and you know it's kind of like the worst of rap. You know, yeah. but it's kind of like it wasn't artistry, and the lyrics were often very simple. But it was there were hooks and beats, and you but, know. But wait, t- tell me about this juncture though, because I've been sort of fascinated with that because that's unique to our generation. Yeah. We're yeah. not the sixties. We're not old boomers. We were literally in high school when, like, the sixties was fading. It was over. Zeppelin was established. Yeah, but still, that was even old by the time we were in high school. We, I mean, yeah, we were there was... for in through the outdoor and maybe yeah. presence. You were in, mm-hmm, in right. Sure. But uh, but then all of a sudden, you know, New Wave came in, and punk actually hit the states after New Wave for some reason where I lived. Yeah, it was slow. Things right. weren't instantaneous. What and was then, going on in London and New York was years away. Right, and then like when I was like I worked across from the University of New Mexico, so I knew artists. I knew the art rock thing because of the guy at the record store. Yeah. But you still had Van Halen. Yeah, like I was still in high school. I mean, when when Van Halen one came out, I'm going to that concert. Right, <laughs> but it was all there. Yeah, and you and I, I tell a story. I, or I, it might even be in my book about bringing my buddy Dave. 
who was my friend who owned a fucking Firebird, yeah. to this this college party <laughs> where this band was doing performance art. Yeah. And it was that moment where he was like, oh, I guess it's cool, is there beer? You yeah. know, like that. It, you just wander in like, oh. Well, I knew sort of what was up, and I'm like, Dave's never going to get this. Yeah. But, you performance know, art. Yeah, but he what was all that? right. Yeah. But so what? Minds are blown. Right. What compelled you? That's was, what college is about. Was that the context that you were dealing with? Was that the only thing that entered this film for you? Was that 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 weird vortex of shifting and trying to figure out who you are? And it's autobiographical too. You know, like a, I was that college kid showing up and with some ideas and yeah. being introduced. Like meeting, I remember meeting, you know, actors and an actress and like gay guys in the drama department i'm like well they're gay like i yeah, didn't yeah. think i knew any gay people sure. and i was like wow and they don't seem to have a problem with it yeah, and, yeah. And, but i was like they're really cool look how yeah. smart and creative yeah. and i like what they're you know i was like oh wow like worlds were just opening and, right yeah it was just mind-blowing and cool people who didn't give a shit about the pep rally or sports or you know what seems to rule high schools and this is and yeah. it was like oh ideas art energy creativity what? So what's the name you know, of this you're film? You're 18, 19 years old. And, um, working title is, that's what I'm talking about. And that's, it's, it's a How group How far of, along are you? It's a, I'm starting to edit. I just shot it. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I had a nice little gap this fall. And, uh, you know. Who's thir- playing 33 you? days of production. A wonderful ensemble. It's a lot like Days, the big ensemble of young actors, none of which you probably know. Now, this is exciting. A lot of guys have been around, and you might recognize a few from- you know, guys from, you know, young actors, they're in all kinds of stuff. I'm excited. But uh, it's it's fun. I, I, I'm i excited about How's it. How's the footage Good, work? good, great. You know, good, good energy. You know, disco footage, punk club. The last night we shot like a punk club. Yeah. And uh, I had a group, a local group, Riverboat Gamblers in Austin, a really excellent, uh-huh. excellent, like punk band. And uh, they did, as I remember, I told them like, can you do a punk song of the Gilligan's Island theme song? Because <laughs> I remember a band in the 80s doing that. Sure. And damn it, if they did, they did. It starts off kind of a ballad, then boom. And they just, it was. Just, they nailed it? Yeah, it was awesome. And I, I, I did another couple other punk songs in there. I remember too. going through Austin 19, when I graduated college in like 86 or 87, I, I, I was there. And uh, I saw a band, I was shit faced. And I saw a band do like a punk rock Rose of San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was the <laughs> first time I'd heard that song. And I'm like, that's the greatest song that's in the great. world. I was like, oh, you know, there's a traditional version <laughs> of that. No, it doesn't exist. No, I that. have it, though. I have the Bob Wills version. But Is just that the that, one? Yeah. But yeah. just that idea of taking something from your cultural past and re, I love revamping it. it, reusing it. I was like, oh, that's, that's brilliant. I'm excited. We, you can do that in every art form. You can take all this crap you were fed and turning it into something else i'm excited about this movie so yeah me too it fits right in there it's like college it's sort of it sort of begins right where boyhood ends a guy shows up at college so it's great a, it's an overlap it's right the same there. kid no he, he it wasn't because that kid's kind of an artist kid and my yeah. guys are sort of jocks they're okay. all on the baseball team but they're okay. like witty you know people think athletes are kind of dumb and some are but there was a certain kind of energy and wit among, sure. particularly the older guys. They were like, so it's it's kind of trying to capture. They're competitive jerks on one hand, but they're really funny and witty. On and another. you're the one who open whose mind gets blown a little bit. The fret there's a several freshmen coming right. in, but you know, hold your own. You got to kind of sure hold your own with these guys. All right, so that's the challenge to to stick in there. But we'll see. You know, check it out. I'm excited, summer. man. 
Um, but, Great talking to you. Know, yeah, yeah. And we really did it. Fun. We got Thin Lizzy in. We got Thin Lizzy. All right, folks, that's it. That's our show. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Very nice guy. And I like the fact that he's giving back to the world, helping people out. Oh, my God. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Get the app. Upgrade to the premium app. Oh, my God. I am tired of me.